In this Hall of Presidents, let us pay homage to the immortal men whose illustrious names have been indelibly inscribed on history's roll of honor. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Alan, you do know that the more expensive the question, the harder it is. Oh, no, I did. Let me rethink that then. Uh, dinosaurs for 1,000, Alex. Okay, the answer is... And now, the Magic Kingdom proudly presents in a million points of musical light... W Radio, your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. Thanks for tuning in once again. This is show number 70 for the week of June 8th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, coming to you this and every week, bringing you the very best ways to enjoy and enhance your Walt Disney World vacation experience. No news from the parks this week, as I'm leaving early to cover Star Wars weekends for the show, but I do have a couple of interesting items in the Walt Disney World rumor mill, which includes a possible addition to the Magic Kingdom. Tim Foster joins me once again for another Top 10 with Tim, as we explore our Top 10 refurbishments in the park. It's an interesting look at some of the welcome changes that have taken place throughout the years, and might even make you take a second look at that attraction that maybe you haven't experienced in some time. Listener Tony Mendick gets in the hot seat for another round of Walt Disney World Fact or Fiction. He'll answer some trivia questions in a fun game where there are no prizes to be won, but just a fun way to talk about some trivia and history. I'll answer some more of your vacation planning emails this week, along with the help of Becky Mankin, owner of Mouse Fan Travel, including questions on specialty cruises, dinner shows, traveling with a large group, a very large group, backstage tours, and more. Listen for more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Let's take a quick trip to the Walt Disney World rumor mill, where I have just two rumors for you this week. The first rumor is that changes might be coming to the trams in the parking lots, as I understand that prototypes are being tested in the backstage areas behind the Magic Kingdom. Now there will be automatic doors that are being implemented as a safety precaution, and of course the safety of the doors opening and closing as guests enter and exit is of paramount importance, and it appears as though, from what I understand, that issue has been resolved, so it's not very clear right now how long it might take to get all these new trams implemented and rolled out into the parks. Over in the Magic Kingdom, preparations are being made for the continued fabrication and installation of the framework for the new Fairies and Tinkerbell meet and greet area, which will likely be installed in or around Mickey's Toontown Fair. In addition to a single Tink meeting area, a new fairy sort of mini land is going to be introduced, and that's going to include three different trees to explore, each one housing a different fairy from what I understand. It's not clear whether or not a new play area, sort of akin to what we have over at Pooh's Playful Spot, might accompany the meet and greet area or how expansive the area might be. It's also not clear at this time where the area might be placed, although looking at a map, there is a great deal of space in between Pete's Garage, which are the restrooms at the entrance to Toontown Fair, 
and Pooh's playful spot in Fantasyland. Now, that area would also make sense, as Tink and the fairies have a clear association not only with Toontown, but clearly with Fantasyland, which of course includes Peter Pan Flight and the castle from which Tinkerbell flies on at night. As we hear more, or as we get any sort of official word from Disney, I'll certainly let you know on the show. And if you have any rumors that you want to share or any news that you want to discuss, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or to comment on anything, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW or visit the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. It's time once again for another Top 10 with Tim Foster segment, where I welcome back Tim, who, as you know, is the author of The Guide to the Magic series of books, to go through some different ways to help you enjoy your vacation or look back at the parks in some fun ways. And in the past, we've looked at everything from holiday events to my personal favorites of research, which was the Top 10 Snacks and World Showcase. But this week... We're going to do something a little bit different. And Tim, since this was your idea, why don't you go ahead and tell us exactly what we're going to do? All right. Well, a lot has been made of some recent rehabs and refurbishments of the attractions of Walt Disney World. Um, And as we know, it's been well documented. Some of them might not be as popular as Disney would have hoped them to be. I know you're a big fan of Stitch for one is one to look at. But but I do, in thinking about it, there is a lot of times that Disney does get it right. And I thought we would this uh, with this uh, segment, we would take a look at our favorite attraction refurbishments and rehabs and point out the things that we think they did do well and things we do like. And I'm going to start off by saying, when you first told me about the concept and I started to kind of put down some ideas, this was very, very hard for me to come up with a list. And I think it's because really the nostalgic got the best of me. So I started thinking about attractions that went through major refurbishments. And I'm like, well, Alien Encounter, no, to use your Stitch reference. And then I'm like, Horizons, I'm like, well, heck no. Uh, And (laughs) Figment, don't even get me started. But you're right, there are a number that definitely have been enhanced as part of the refurbs. And they've been plussed. And they really make the experience a little bit better, even if the change was just subtle. And I think, Tim, as we start going through our list we're probably going to have a lot of overlap in how we do it. And the way I came up with my list was that I couldn't come up really with a top 10 and I, and I couldn't put them in any sort of order. So what I did was I went park by park and I kind of went through the different reherbs, both major and minor. And I picked out 10 uh, total from all the four parks, but that's how I'm going to do my list. I'm going to go through the four parks one by one, starting with the magic kingdom until I get um, all 10. Well, you can start. I will say when we get to my list, I did totally different than you. So, <laughs> uh, Actually, I will say before we start, I did – it was tough to go through. Uh, actually, for me, in an opposite way because for me, there was so much to choose from. And actually, a few things on my list. I, I did do uh, a couple not subtle rehabs but actually new attractions in place of old ones. I did have a couple in there because uh, they're based they're, – they're new, obviously. and It's not a rehab per se, but it's definitely something – Knew that you're not, um, you know, not used to have been doing before, and can be just as exciting. So. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll, have a, I'll have a couple of uh, of honorable mentions, I guess you'll say, in my list right. as well. So, okay, well, you want to get us started with your first one? I will. And the first thing that came to mind when you talk about a refurbishment or an upgrade or plussing an attraction that Disney just got so right 
for me was the Haunted Mansion and what took place last year and all the different elements from the exterior and simple things like the repainting and the new canopy over the queue line to everything that took place inside. I think the stretch room uh, is just amazing with what they have in there. I'm not talking about spoilers now because hopefully or chances are people have heard the new audio effects and they hear the stretching sound. They see the different elements of theming that are in the attraction. Uh, Again, one of the simple little things that they did that I love so much is at the very beginning when you see the eyes in the wallpaper, the -the glow-in-the-dark eyes, uh, you know, the corridor of eyes in the wallpaper, the floating Leota head, uh, the ballroom just seems to be cleaner, the animatronics are are brighter, um, the the corridor with the windows, with the lightning flashes, even the doom buggies themselves, they they run better, the audio is is much more enhanced, It's, it's much more cleaned up. Everything about the attraction now and then the integrity was just kept and the story was kept and the story was really enhanced by what they did with the bride and even the scenes with the Escher-like staircase which as many times as you go through there's so much more to see Tim, I- I'm sure you have to agree or maybe you don't uh, if you're crazy that the Haunted Mansion <laughs> um, clearly it sh- it belongs on the list I totally disagree with you no, no actually it's it's funny because in I know we've done these lists before. We've tried to save our best for last, but I think we're both starting out with probably what would be our number one because I do think the Haunted Mansion recent refurbishment was, as you said, spectacular. Um, but my first one is actually a Haunted Mansion piece, but I'm going to go back a few years. And this is a, uh, an example of a subtle refurbishment that, that I liked. And this is going back a few years. And I'm talking about the uh, Leota tombstone in the graveyard at right as you enter the Haunted Mansion. And uh, I mentioned it partly. I, I, I've seen it so many times, obviously, that I, I imagine that everybody must know about it. But I'm still surprised that people I know that go down for the first time uh, and they go to the Haunted Mansion and they say, wow, that was the coolest thing I ever saw. And they said, what would you think of the tombstone? What tombstone? <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> I, I, either you'll went in so fast you didn't see it or they didn't look closely enough but um, um, it's it, it's uh, just a really cool thing to look at and obviously most people know uh, that it's uh, the Leota tombstone named in honor of Madame Leota and, and Leota the Imagineer who was honored with that tombstone when she passed away um, and uh, I hope it's I don't think it's spoiling anyone to say look at the eyeballs and see what happens um but like I said, I'm surprised at the few people who, who just don't realize it. And actually, when you're in line looking at a tombstone and you still see gasps of the people who have seen it, not before, and then they see it for the first time and go, did you see that? What happened? And somebody else looks and goes, ah, there's nothing over there. What are you talking about? And then they keep looking at it and see what happens. Um, so that's my example of something you know, subtle, small, but uh, to me was a really big enhancement, some I look for every time I go there. I agree. I think it's very cool. And the point that you made is what I love seeing is when you're in line and you see somebody look over and then kind of do a quick double take like, I thought I saw that tombstone move, but no way. And right. now they're looking and their friends are like, there's no way. the tomb. What are you talking about? And and it's such that unexpected surprise that they get. And that's yeah. and that's what I really like about it. So, And, and I love the fact that Leota is, is just present. She's the first thing you see as you enter the attraction. She's the last thing you see, you know, little Leota as you enter the attraction. So, As we've talked about before, we love little Leota. We do. 
Yes. <laughs> I have a fond place in my heart for little Leota. But the second one, again, in no particular order, and this may have been on the top of a lot of people's list because this did open with a great deal of fanfare and an, an initial skepticism, I think, when people heard that Pirates of the Caribbean was not only going to go down for a major refurbishment, but that new characters that didn't originate in the attraction itself were going to be brought in. Obviously, that's the addition of Captain Jack Sparrow mm-hmm. in three locations, as well as Barbosa on the Wicked Wench. Again, Tim, we talk about Disney getting it right. The new animatronic Jack Sparrow figures, not only do they represent a huge leap forward in the technology, and you can see when you watch the fluid movements of Captain Jack, so for example, behind the dress, versus some of the 30 plus year old animatronics it's so much more lifelike it's so realistic and his facial features and there's photos of him next to the real Johnny Depp are eerily realistic yeah. uh, and even just other things too that the attraction itself is brighter the the soundtrack is richer and deeper uh, there's added elements there's music from the film uh, the different show scenes uh, have a little more depth to them uh, and again Everything about the attraction I loved. I was a skeptic at first, but again, for me, keeping the integrity of the attraction and keeping the story the way it was meant to be uh, was really, really plussed with the addition. Yeah, like you, I was a little nervous when I heard what they were doing, too, even though I am a big fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the first one in particular, as we all are. But um, I will say in the Pirates, my actual favorite thing that they added was something you see right away and that's the Davy Jones waterfall as you set off into the depths of the caverns and uh, it's a spectacular visual effect uh, which is it. you just have to see it to believe it and, and I have a lot of fun with people who I'm going with for the first time because you know people who haven't been on it before they see boats they see water am I getting wet on this ride no 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 no, no. you're not going to get wet which <laughs> it's a funny story you don't get wet for most people, my wife gets wet. I don't know how it happens, but whatever, every water ride she's on, she somehow gets splashed. So she gets wet on parts of the Caribbean. I don't know why. Note but, to self, um, don't ride with Tim. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're going to ride with, with you know, go a couple rows up so you're out of the splash zone. <laughs> it's right there. But I have done a couple times. I'm with people who haven't been there before, and we turn the corner and we see the waterfall point out it to them and they go oh, that is so cool and I said well duck because you're going to get wet what, what what are you talking about and of course as it looks as you see it there's obviously no place to escape and then we get closer we go through and I laugh and they scowl at me but it's a lot of fun yo-ho but it, it again it's a spectacular effect everyone is jaws drop when they see it and uh, pretty much my favorite piece of the new Pirates of the Caribbean and, and, you know, using these two as an example, it's great because they've breathed new life into classic attractions that didn't necessarily need it. You know, the re-rideability factor of Mansion and Pirates, for those of us that have been on it literally hundreds of times over the past 30-some-odd years, now you even have another reason to keep going back. And I know for myself, from a geek perspective, the Mansion in particular, going back and trying to pick up all of the added details in the attic scene and all the different mm-hmm. pictures and all the different things that they brought in listening. You know, it's important to experience it with your ears as well as with your eyes and, and both attractions are the same way. So, um, again, two excellent examples. And, and I, for my third one, Tim, it might actually surprise you a little bit as to what I'm going to say. 
But believe it or not, it's it's a small world. Doesn't surprise me at all. I almost had that on my <laughs> list. And I was hoping you had it on your list. Yeah, in, in 2005, a small world went down for a refurbishment and... Many of us were wondering how the attraction might change, if at all. Well, it came out with some fresh paint, a different color scheme, uh, much more akin to what you have out in Disneyland and some of Mary Blair's original drawings. The soundtrack is much cleaner. It's clearer. You can hear the different elements as you pass through the different scenes. Uh, But again, Tim, it's that classic attraction that was just kind of freshened up and kind of brought new life to it. And again, gives you another reason to keep going back. Yeah, I loved it. Actually, the the front facade for me when I as they redid it, it was the first thing you see. Obviously, when I went in, the first time I saw that, I was dazzled. It was it was it was amazing. The the clock and and, and all the clock that goes on and, and all the new effects and and it, it's funny. I'm gonna give my little it's a small world plug here because it's it's as we all know, it's one of the attractions of Walt Disney World that probably gets the most ridicule and. And, and upturned eyes when you mention it. And I admit I was one of those people way, way, way back in the day. I, I shunned it. So I'm not going on there. That's a kiddie ride. It's corny and all of that sort of thing. But it has grown into one of my most beloved attractions. And, um, and actually from, from my family too. My stepfather adores it. Um, so I say if, if, you, if you have that opinion of it, just give it a chance and, and let go of your preconceptions and, and just – Immerse yourself in what it is. It's you know a celebration of, of friendship and joy around the world, and, um, and hopefully you'll be surprised and, and come to love it too. But uh, but like I said, the facade, especially for me, the opening facade, just spectacular. And uh, and I'm not surprised you had it on your list because it's on mine too. Okay. What else? Uh, what's next for you? Oh, that wasn't even my next one, was it? Let's see. Mine was. It's actually. I'm going to Epcot, and this is a major upgrade uh, that I'm going to talk about. And it's the Nemo and Friends over at the Living Seas. Um, the Living Seas, in its original incarnation, I, I did enjoy very much. And, and to this day, I do miss the It Rained and It Rained and It Rained movie. Uh, which for some reason, I really enjoyed. I'm not sure why, because it was very educational and, and slow, but I, I liked it a lot. Um, did very much miss the uh, the uh, first party attraction when you actually rode through and, and through the aquarium on the little cars and when, when they went away that was a sad moment for me because I like that but with the opening of Nemo and Friends uh, to me I felt that was an addition that really perked up the Living Seas even though I liked it very much it, it was rather educational and, and, and rather uh, not museum-like, but, but not as much fun maybe as it could be. But I thought the, the Nemo ride, in being spectacular in its own right, just added a, a welcome bit of whimsy to the to the sea's attraction. And uh, it's it's turned into one of my favorite slow rides, if you will, at Epcot, um, which uh, I do miss some of the slow rides very much, but this was a nice welcome addition. And I thought very, very well done, especially the visual effects of Nemo and his friends swimming in the aquarium. They look like they're actually there, which is very nice. So. See, now this is where my, my nostalgic bias got in the way of, of, uh, my, of my good judgment because I, I really like what they've done as far as the new pavilion being what it is, the seas with Nemo and friends. And as a father of two young kids, 
they love it. And for them, that's the reason why they're going to go to Epcot. And I think the ride is very well done. I think that the technology used in the tank is is just awe-inspiring, and that's the big payoff for that attraction. I still love the fact that they have the live animals for kids to see and Turtle Talk, again, is that next leap forward in the technology. However, being a, a child of, we'll say, the Epcot generation, I liked the sea cabs over the clam mobiles and I liked the illusion of the hydrolators and that sense of mystery and story and everything else that that pavilion brought. So it's not to take anything away from the sea cabs, but again, it's my own personal sort of, you know, prejudice, I guess, because of how much I enjoy the old attraction and, and the old pavilion. So let go of your bias, embrace it. It's wonderful. What do you mean illusions in the hydrolators? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know what? My ears used to hurt so bad going well, down. Cause, that's because you you're, you went down. What five my mom? My mom got the bends. That. She actually got the bends I, I, on the attraction and has not, never been able to return since. I know. I, I want to know what happened to <laughs> all the levels underneath. I'm kind of curious. So, uh, illusion. I don't know what you're referring to. Well, listen. Before we go over to Epcot on my list, uh, <laughs> I have one more in the Magic Kingdom. Um, and that is Mickey's Philhar Magic. And I know it, it wasn't uh. a refurb as much as it was a replacement of The Legend of the Lion King in 2003. But I think this is probably one of, if not the best, of the 3D slash 4D attractions. Very close up, up there with Muppet Vision. But I love it because it brings in the classic characters and it brings in the classic songs. And as, and as great as Legend of the Lion King was, especially what they did with those human-animal puppets and what a, a great show that was and bringing those characters into Fantasyland, uh, having the, that music and having the effects and the smells and the screen and, and 3D just done so right made me put that... Um, Made me put that on the list, and I thought was deserving of being one of the top ten refurbs or rehabs. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I almost had that on my list as well. Um, I, I'll just say, like for me, the most—I will say—I I think it is the best of all the 3D attractions at Walt Disney World, hands down, for me anyway. Um, and my favorite magical moment—and I will admit—it brings a tear to my eye—is when Ariel reaches out into the audience. And, and bubbles fall. That just—I'm weepy now. I'm, but, I'm not uh, going to say that I have teary moments, but if it was for me, it's no surprise that the Peter Pan scene, you know, doesn't. Ah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, so many to choose from. Uh, well, my next one is going to go back to Epcot, and this is a case of a sort of a major, minor refurbishment, and I'm talking about Mission Space. Uh, but I'm not talking about it in terms of it being a new attraction over Horizons, because I will say I still adore Horizons, and I wish Horizons was still there over Mission Space. But um, for Mission Space itself, it's an attraction I was very much looking forward to when I became aware of what it was going to be and when it was going to open, because I'm a big space geek and, and love all that stuff. And I was hoping for a nice slow dark ride in the stars and, uh, but as I got more information about it being a thrill ride and you know simulation of strong gravitational forces I got a little nervous I will say I, I will say I did go on it I did it I survived but to me it was alright I did it once I'm probably not going to do it again because it's a little too 
intense for me because I unfortunately don't have quite the right stuff for this kind of thing. Um, but the update I'm referring to is, of course, when they added the less intense version of the ride, which for me was great because now I could experience it and not worry about you know, losing the cookies and all that kind of thing. Um, so that's that was, a will say, a welcome refurbishment for me. And I will admit, having done both, the, the chicken ride, as I call it, is, is definitely a lot less intense, and it's short. But at least it, for me, I can now go and do mission space over and over again, enjoy the experience, not to worry about things happening that I don't want to happen. So. I will say that I agree with you, and I applaud Disney <laughs> for being able to add that element of the ride to open it up to a demographic of people that would not or could not ride it beforehand. Now, I will also right. tell you that you almost lost me completely when you started saying Mission Space over Horizons because that would have been it. You, Tim Foster's appearances no. on the show would have been over right then and there. <laughs> no, I will take Horizons over the chicken line, over the intense line. Yeah, I, it's, uh, That probably is my... It's funny, we're talking about new stuff... Uh, on the old stuff we miss, List Horizons is probably... I can't think of anything else that would surplant it as number one on my list of things I miss. But. Agreed. Uh, I'm going to move over to Epcot first, too. I'm going to give a quick sort of mini honorable mention before I leave the Magic Kingdom, though. As much as I loved If You Had Wings and was disappointed in, in what came afterwards with If You Could Fly and Dream Flight, I will say that going from Dream Flight to Buzz Lightyear was probably a, a refurb or a redo that I liked. Only because I was so disappointed as the incarnations of If You Had Wings that came after it. But over in Epcot, when I first started thinking about it and going to the park in my mind, I said there's really nothing that I can talk about here because I, for the most part, disappointed that attractions like Horizons and World of Motion were gone. But I think there are some good smaller changes, uh, kind of getting away from the nostalgia perspective. And the first I would say is Spaceship Earth. And as as the enhancement that I'm talking about here specifically is in the Ascent portion. And, and I think what they've done with the Ascent is just phenomenal. Not only the scenes they brought in and the stories that they're telling, but the technology that's used from the animated cave wall paintings to the animatronic figures and the show scenes and that computer geek that's in the garage is is awesome and it's kind of worth the price of admission for me which of course would be an e-ticket but it's worth the price of admission <laughs> because there's so much to see and so much to experience and and specifically that portion the ascent portion of spaceship earth i think was just done so so well not having the descent portion on your list by reading between the lines there not that I'm <laughs> the descent portion is what it is and I think what it does with the interactive element works very well is it something that I might have put in that portion of the ride maybe not would I have liked to maybe see more show scenes uh, maybe more of the continuation of the, of the story for the descent yes but that being said what they do with making it interactive and letting the family participate and having your face on there is done very well. And I enjoy it and I enjoy playing with it. And, and it makes what would be obviously a very boring ride backwards entertaining um, for both adults and kids. But the thing that blew me away when I first saw it and when I continue to see it is definitely the ascent portion. 
Yeah, I, I, def I had Spaceship Earth on my list as well, and, and pretty much for the same reason. I remember when I first went on it, uh, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I was absolutely blown away by uh, pretty much all of the new animatronics as you went through all of the scenes. Just the realism, the, the movement um, was spellbinding, and it kind of made up. I was a little bit disappointed with the ending. Not not with what they added, but with the things they, they took away, which I were some of my favorite moments there. But um, I will always miss those, but the ascent sort of makes up for it. And, and it is spectacular. If you go to it, def definitely see it there. You'll be amazed, especially if you remember what it was before. Uh, the, the new movements, the updates, it, it's just spectacular. I, I think I'll touch on, on one here with Spaceship Earth. It's, it's kind of an odd one. Um, as when the year 2000 rolled around, we of course all remember the big 2000 that went up on Spaceship Earth with the the Mickey hand, which eventually morphed into the Mickey hand with the wand. And well, it didn't bother me a whole lot. It did, there were a lot of uh, Disney purists, particularly Epcot purists, that were a little wait. That's that's Spaceship Earth. You, you can't put that on there. That's that's not in character. So. I think when it finally came down again, I don't know if you'd call it a refurbishment per se as maybe fixing something that maybe shouldn't have done in the first place, but I will go on record as saying I, I do welcome seeing Spaceship Earth in all of its pristine and untainted glory again. I agree. I didn't mind it so much, but <laughs> I know a lot of people did, and it's nice to see it again. So, so back to, that actually was my next one, so we'll go back to you. For your next one. Okay. I will stay in Epcot as well. And this is sort of a, almost a, a backhanded compliment because I'm going to say that the refurb that I like is over in Journey into Imagination. Now, before you careen your car into a wall. What are you talking about, Lou? <laughs> understand that it's a refurb from its previous incarnation, not from the original. The original Journey into Imagination that you know was what it was was one of if not my favorite attraction next to horizons in, in all of epcot if not walt disney world that made us fall in love with figment and the dream finder unfortunately in 99 somebody had the brilliant idea of taking out the character of figment fortunately that person is, is <laughs> has moved on to greener pastures somewhere and somebody realized that yes we need to bring figment back so in 2002 we have journey into imagination with figment and fortunately the song one little spark is back it's a former shell of what it was absolutely um, but from what it was before then it was definitely a welcome change and a welcome revision yeah, I think for one of mine too. I was I wanted to give some love to Figment for the same reasons. I, I, I same exact thing. It was, Imagination was actually one of the first attractions I went on the first time I was at Epcot, way 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 back after Spaceship Earth, and I, the 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 White Room in particular was something I, I sorely sorely miss. But um, for those who haven't weren't privy to seeing the original the best version of Journey into Imagination. Um, the new one is, 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 I think it's very good in its own, right? It's not the same as the, as the old one, of course. But um, 
I do like to point out to people like all the, the thing I like about the journey in imagination right now is all the little things to look for and I still see something new every time I go in there um, so when you go through look at the main show of course but look at all the little things look at the bulletin boards look at the in the in the smell scent labs look at the pipes and see what's written on the pipes and on the valves and everywhere and you'll see it it's just filled with lots of little little jokes little puns little things to look at some of which are obvious some of which might not be so obvious and it's kind of fun to discover what the joke actually is and we won't go into those now we'll save that for another time but um yeah, so I, I thought I, I wanted to give a little love back to Figment because they got somewhat of a bad rap there, deservedly so, for taking him out. But um, I think the attraction itself is, I put it on my very good list. I enjoy going on it. It's one of my must-dos when I am at Epcot. And a quick mini plug here. If you are a relatively new listener and you are a fan or were a fan of Journey to Imagination, I'd love for you to go back and listen to show 29. Actually, Tim, I think this is the first show... You were on. You didn't do this segment with us, but Jeff and I did a, a very long, very detailed look at Journey into Imagination and really sort of rekindled our memories of the original attraction and all the different incarnations, and like you said, the White Room and things yeah. like that. So, But, Gad, what, it, what is next on your list? Well, actually, I was piggybacking on yours because that was next on my list. So we shared that one. So, actually, I'm going to throw it back to you again. All right, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to move over to World Showcase. And again, what may be a, a somewhat surprising addition on my list, my list is Canada, uh, the O Canada film, which last year was updated. Uh, Martin Short was added to it, which I thought was a nice addition. I think it brings a comedic element that the previous film didn't have. It was a little dry. It was a little documentary-ish. Um, and I think from a, a inviting you to go visit Canada perspective, it definitely adds a level of relevance. It adds a level of humor to it. I will say that while the original song is there, it is now sung by somebody else. I did prefer the original version. Again, it could just be the old man nostalgic in me. But uh, as far as on its face, an upgrade and a refurb that was done well, I, I thought what they did with Canada was very good. And again, it gives you a reason to go back and visit if you haven't in a long time. Yeah, I agree. Being a hockey fan, there's one particular segment in there that I enjoyed very much, which I'll let you discover on your own if you haven't seen it before. But um, my next uh, item on my list is going to take us over to the Disney's Hollywood Studios, as it's newly called. And this is over at Star Tours, and it's um, the Jedi Training Academy, which being a space geek also makes me a Star Wars geek very much so. Um, and I grew up with the movies and adored them and wanted to be Luke Skywalker when I grew up. It didn't happen. I'm not sure why that didn't happen because I tried my best. Um, but the Jedi Training Academy, for those who don't know, takes place outside of the Star Tours attraction. And uh, it's a show that takes place on a stage uh, right outside the entrance to the attraction. And it's they have kids come up. Uh, they dress them up in their... Jedi robes give them uh, not quite authentic lightsabers but they'll do for the show and you actually the kids get trained and they actually get to go toe to toe with Darth Vader himself and it was particularly well I loved it anyway I can't participate of course but it was amazing to watch because I don't know if I've actually seen Darth Vader in real life before that, that's a, he's a big guy it's kind of scary especially when he's because the stage is three feet up or so and he's looming over you giving you the force choke and uh, <laughs> everything like that and that scared me but it was particularly special for me because uh, my we were down there 
right about when it opened, I guess, with my nephews and who are also big Star Wars fans, and they all got to go up and do their thing. And I could see, not only did I enjoy it, but I got to see the magic in their eyes and all the kids' eyes of, of facing off with this larger-than-life villain, if you will, from the movies that they love, too, because they, they, they see them and, and have all the toys. And, and I remember my littlest nephew, who was uh, four or five at the time, he spent the whole time at the show and in the attraction itself just going, this is my dream. This is my dream. And it was... Uh, Echoing, that, echoing my sentiments. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as, that's a, a favorite thing. You know, if you're growing up and can't participate, just go watch it. it it's uh, so much fun to watch and so much fun to watch Darth Vader prance around like he's all that. And, you know, he gets his due at the end, which is nice. Yeah, this was on my list, too. And it was it was added to the list, not just for the addition of the training academy itself, but taking this sort of street-level uh, thing that they brought to the studios and now giving it a permanent home next to tar- Star Tours, giving it that permanent stage and ha- showing it a number of times throughout the day. Uh, in, the, uh, in the coming weeks during Star Wars weekends, it's going to be incredibly busy and incredibly crowded. Frustrating for us short adults who <laughs> wish that we could do it, but um, really, really a, a welcome addition. And, and that whole adds another whole element to that area, to that Star Tours area, uh, between yeah. you've got the attraction, you've got the stage show, and you've got Tatooine Traders, which is fun to go through. But yes, I'm going to quickly jump back to Epcot, stay in World Showcase for one other one. And again, this time, the nostalgic in me lost out to the upgrade, which was the Grand Fiesta Tour starring the Three Caballeros. Um, I, I, again, loved the simplicity and the the sort of kitschiness of the old El Rio del Tiempo, but I love the fact that they brought back and they brought in these old characters and are introducing, you know, Panchito and Jose Carioca and even to a certain degree Donald Duck to a new generation of fans as well as older fans who might not have seen the old Saludos Amigos and they've got a great song, again the, the integrity of the attraction is still there with the music and with the story it tells. Um, They've added some wonderful visual elements. It's brighter. Uh, It's definitely been cleaned up, but we still have the volcano at the beginning. We still have some of the elements of the the tourism aspect that I like and sort of that that big payoff at the end where you you get to see them singing the songs and and follow the end of the story. So I, I really enjoy Grand Fiesta Tour as an adult, and I enjoy it as a guest that brings my young kids who now enjoy an attraction that they might not have enjoyed as much before. Yeah, that was actually on my list, too. It was actually it was one of my um, – in touring World Showcase, it was funny. It was one of the things I always liked to do, and I, I felt it was curiously overlooked a lot by a lot of people, um, like in deference to Maelstrom next door and some of the other attractions, because you can always walk on it pretty much. Um, so uh, it was a it was a nice update. I felt they added just the right amount. All the things I liked are still there, but this was I think this was truly a case where they enhanced a ride that I, I, I thought was okay the way it was, and there were a lot of things I liked about it, and the things I liked didn't go away, and they added a lot of things I did like. So uh, for my next one, I'm staying in Epcot, but we're going to go back to the front. And I remember back way back in the day when I first went to Epcot, I. 
went to the University of Energy and uh, enjoyed the dinosaurs very much. And I, I did enjoy the attraction, but I, I did admit to myself it was rather dry and perhaps very educational. And uh, I won't say boring because I did enjoy it, but it, it didn't have a lot of pizzazz to it. Um, when they converted it over to Ellen's Energy Adventure, uh, I liked that update a lot because then there became it was more humorous, it was more fun to watch and dinosaurs were still there and, and that sort of thing. And I bring it up, it's been around a long time and some people might not even realize it was a refurbishment They might because it's, it's been around, that might be the way they, people always remember it. Um, but I mainly bring it up because uh, I am curious of the number of people that I talk to, especially people who go there for the first time and just came back, that didn't go over there, that didn't go to the University of Energy for a number of reasons. They you know, had their eyes set on the the big attractions at Epcot and overlooked some of the minor ones. And and University of Energy is sort of tucked away in the back. And if you don't deliberately go over there, you might easily walk by it. So some people didn't realize it was there or they kind of dismissed it for not knowing what it was. Um, but if, uh, you know, I do recommend it if, for people that are there, don't overlook it, even though there are plenty of other things you need to see, like SOAR and, and Test Track and Mission Space. Um, but don't overlook it. I, I, I enjoy it every time I go on. I think it's funny. It's very loud, though, cover your ears, but uh, something I, I actually, one of my uh, guilty pleasures at Epcot, if you will. I'm with you on that. I, I like Ellen's Energy Adventure, and I d- very much liked the original version, and I won't sing it, but I love the music from it, <laughs> that classic Epcot music. But I did sort of like what Ellen brought in, and the again, the comedic element that was brought in with some of the other characters as well there's you know chris berman from espn is in there and there's the jeopardy aspect again bring some sort of fun and relevance to it i agree that i think it is overlooked partially due to where it is partially because it doesn't have that wow factor that guests who walk through the interventions breezeway when they see mission space directly in front of them and test track to the right you know looking over and seeing wait a minute big pavilion about energy might not be the huge draw i think the other thing too is if you're going to ride it, you have to devote pretty much an hour to it. That's right. And yeah. maybe you know that's not in everybody's touring plan for the day. They might be not be able to commit that much, especially when attractions like Soarin' and Test Track and some of the other ones have long waits to them. Um, and now with Nemo being brought there, there's there are other attractions that they might want to go see. But I agree. I think that's something that everybody should go and definitely check out at Epcot. Even if you haven't gone in a long time, it's worth seeing again. Uh, before I get to, because the Jedi training stage was my number nine over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I'm going to get to my number ten before I do a quick honorable mention over at the studios. I think Block Party Bash, I don't know if you'd call that an addition, a refurb, a, a change, a replacement. I think that's a very, very nice addition to the studios. And I also am going to say, in anticipation of it coming, although I have not seen anything other than concept art and some promotional video, I think the American Idol experience, no matter what it's going to be, is going to be something that's going to be fun, it's going to be very engaging for people, and no matter what, it's going to be much better than an empty venue sitting there. And seeing the yes. old theater sitting there empty uh, is very, very disheartening. So in that respect, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But, I'm looking forward to you participating. Oh, there is no possible <laughs> way uh, in heaven or on earth that I will ever participate in the American Idol experience. So 
I, I would be remiss if I didn't make sure to include something from Disney's Animal Kingdom. And the park has not gone through very much change since it opened a decade ago. But one thing that it added to it and one refurb that it went through that I admit in retrospect, I, I was very, very not down on, but I, I was very skeptical of it because I said many times on the show, how is Disney going to bring an attraction like Finding Nemo, turn a non-musical film into a musical Broadway-style production, but they did. And they not only met my expectations, but they far surpassed it. And Nemo, for me, is an absolute must-do. And as, as good as Tarzan live on stage was, I think Nemo, when it opened in 2006, just blew me away. I think it is incredibly well done. I think the music is wonderful, it's memorable, it's an emotional, evocative thing, maybe because I'm a parent of young kids now, I don't know what it is, but I just absolutely love Finding Nemo, and again, from a family perspective, so does so do my kids, and so do you know my older parents. It's fun, I did, I did get to see it right when it opened, and it was, I'm not actually a big uh, show person, I don't go to a lot of the shows, but I did find it very enjoyable. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I did like it. Actually, for my last one, too, and I'm in the same boat you are, I kind of lost one of mine, or we talked about it at the same time. So I'm going to end it with my last one. Um, this is back in the Magic Kingdom. And it's actually one you touched on way, way in the beginning, but did make my list, was Alien Encounter, in fact. And uh, I like it. I enjoyed, as much as I remember them, and I don't remember them very well, but uh, Flight to the Moon and, and Flight to Mars and, and those attractions, they were they were fun and interesting, but I know Alien Encounter, when it opened, was probably the most, uh, of, of attractions that had people who loved it and people who didn't, uh, Alien Encounter was probably the lead in that role. I think you either loved it or you hated it. I was one of the people that loved it. Um, I, I, uh, I, I just liked the, the whole, just even the whole look and the feel and the music and, and everything about the attraction itself. And, and it's actually, I, I do miss it very much. I enjoy Stitch. I'll go on it. And I will give Stitch a little love. I will say the, the animatronic of Stitch is spectacular if you go into the show and watch him. He, he is rather amazing in what he can do. Other parts of the show, the chili dog, not so sure. But um, I did want to mention Alien Encounter. It's one of my falls into one of my attractions. I liked when it opened and I miss it now that it's gone. I, and I admit I'm one of those that not sure what your feelings were on that attraction yourself. I have mixed emotions about Alien Encounter because I was somebody... No, well, (laughs) to to that point, when it opened, I was surprised. I'm like, wow, this is a very un-Disney-like attraction. Yeah, it was. Because it did have such a fear element to it. And not the fear like, wow, I'm on a fun, scary roller coaster. A fear is in, wow, this thing is scary. And it's got the illusion of flying around yeah and it's you know it's, <laughs> it's this big nasty very menacing alien but for me i used to love as a kid mission to mars that feeling of everything shaking and looking down at the screen that was in the floor and all the different elements that it had to it and i remember so vividly you know the bird making the alarm go off and, and riding that with my parents over and over and over again and it could just be the the techie geek part of me but when Alien Counter opened once I got past that I guess surprise uh, I really did like it 
and forgive me for saying, and I don't want to end it on a on a down note, but I liked it so much more after Stitch opened. I missed the attraction so much more, <laughs> and I just felt that Stitch was lacking in some certain areas as far as story was concerned. That being said, I think the animatronic Stitch and the arms of the guns in there mm-hmm. is worth going in to see in and of itself. Um, again, the chili dog thing might not appeal to us, but it probably appeals to maybe kids in the younger generation. And we have to kind of keep that in mind as well when we when we look at some of these new attractions as they open up. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting to meet the person who came out of there going, that chili dog was awesome. <laughs> I haven't met that person. But the, yet. that person probably <laughs> is a 12-year-old fun. boy that's going to walk out and be like, dude, that was so cool. You just smell the chili dogs and, you know. So It was funny. I, I, I don't hate it. I, I, I recognize it for what it is and it's funny but uh yeah i had a feeling stitch wasn't making your top 10 list so i want to just throw him in there no no from a a technology perspective of of audio animatronic advancements stitch is wonderful and and that's probably where i'll just leave it there as far as stitch (laughs) is concerned but again it has its audience and it has its audience of fans and followers and for a lot of people you know stitch is one of their favorite characters and that's reason enough to go and see the show and to go and to experience the attraction. So, and that's, you know, fortunately the beauty of Walt Disney World is that there is something for everybody. And while people might like or not like some of these refurbs, for some people, these refurbs have now given somebody a new favorite or a new classic in their mind. So, and that's the beauty of it. And that's why, you know, we talk about being a purist or nostalgic, but, you know, Walt never intended Walt Disney World to be a museum and sometimes these upgrades are necessary and sometimes they're welcome and, and sometimes they're surprising in some of the things we get like the mansion and pirates and so many of the other things so I think this was, was a great idea Tim and now that now that I'm through the list because I was scared at the yeah, beginning I could more ideas <laughs> <laughs> you know I, certainly I'm sure there's some refurbs that people can say that they weren't happy about but I, I like kind of looking at it this way and, and hopefully maybe turning people on to some of the details that maybe they didn't look at or maybe looking at attractions differently and maybe giving them another chance to to experience them or realize that, hey, I haven't been on this ride in a number of years and maybe there is something new to go and do and see. Yeah, I think all too often we talk about perhaps the top 10 refurbishments that we don't like and that does come up a lot. So that'd be a good idea to look at the ones that they do do well. And, and I'll say they, they get it right, I think, far more often than they get it not quite right. Or wrong, if you will. And and the one thing I applaud and continue to applaud is with all these refurbishments as we go through them, that Disney continues to rehab and refurb and even make new attractions that are still for everybody. I mean, they they throw in the occasional thrill ride, but I'm continually thankful that they don't veer off into just turning everything into a roller coaster and and, and alienating so many people. So exactly, it always has been and, and always will be a place where a, a father can take his daughter on a Saturday afternoon and a place for families. And, right, and, exactly. And that's what they continue to do with these refurbs. So, yes. Tim, I know we have plenty more top tens to come. We've been tossing oh, around yes. some, some pretty fun, creative <laughs> ideas. I'm looking forward to doing with you in the very near future. For more information about Tim, what he does, his awesome Guide to the Magic series of books, including his new Guide to the Magic for Kids, you can visit, of course, guidetothemagic.com. Tim Foster... Thanks once again for coming on, buddy. Thanks. Looking forward to doing it again.
segment that I haven't done in quite some time, but I really enjoy playing with guests that join me on the show, is Walt Disney World Fact or Fiction, where I ask my guests 10 questions about Walt Disney World and ask them to tell me simply whether it's fact or fiction. And this week, I want to welcome in listener Tony Mendick to the show in order to play along. Tony, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lou. Tony, you've been a, a longtime listener. We've had a chance to meet up at Magic Meets, and for now, anyway, you're a fellow Jersey guy. Absolutely. So how long, uh, before we get started, how long have you been going to Walt Disney World? When was your first visit? Uh, my first visit was back in 1975. Oh, so I'm uh, this is good, because now I'll whip out the, the history questions, because oh, no. you have no excuse. <laughs> I was excuses. five at the time. Well, listen, I'm sorry. That's that's. Stop making excuses right off the bat, would you please? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you get anything wrong because nobody's keeping score except maybe Cody Pepper. There's no prizes. There's <laughs> nothing but just having some fun and, and talking about Walt Disney World and some trivia and history. So Great, uh, let's, let's do it. Good. So uh, if you're ready... We're going to go ahead and get started, and, you know, like we said beforehand, if you get one wrong, you do owe me dinner at Victorian Albert's with wine pairing. So of we, course. <laughs> we will move right on in to the first question. In Walt Disney's 1966 preview film to introduce his Florida project, he said that the most exciting and the most important part was the establishment of a permanent residential community. Fact or fiction? I'm going to have to say Fiction. That's correct. And do you know what he said the most exciting, the most important part of the project was? I would have, was it space? Close enough. To... Close enough. Okay. He had the same number of letters. Oh. It, was, it was Epcot. It was oh. Epcot. Yeah, he said, by far the most exciting, the most important part of our Florida project. In fact, the heart of everything that we'll be doing in Disney World will be experimental prototype city of tomorrow. We'll call it Epcot. So, but that's all right. First one. I, I still got it right. That, exactly. <laughs> I can taste that wine pairing right now. Anyway, <laughs> have you been on the great movie ride recently? Actually, I have just a few days ago. Good. So you have. So we'll see how much you paid attention, and you should have no problem getting this one right. In the final montage of the great movie ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios, only one movie's title is ever audibly mentioned in the montage fact or fiction fiction why do you say it's fiction because there's no word spoken close but no cigar oh darn it right there is only one and it's good morning vietnam we're right yes is there a problem officer is not the formal name of trading (laughs) places (laughs) (laughs) that's right All right, and just for you, question three. Tony's Town Square in the Magic Kingdom is currently sponsored by Oscar Mayer. Fact or fiction? Wow, I just ate there on my last trip, too. I am going to say, well, let's stick with the the theme here, fiction. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) Do you know who it's it's currently sponsored by? No, I do not. Shot in the dark. Just grab a box of pasta off the shelf and... Uh, I'd have to say Butoni. Butoni is 100%. I was actually going to say Butoni. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like A&Pre generic brand, but no. It's, <laughs> it's sponsored by Butoni. It was originally known as the Town Square Cafe from 1971 to 1989. It was originally sponsored by Oscar Mayer and then Hornet, Hormel 
and then became Tony's in July of 1989. So we'll count that one as a correct. Question four. The Canada Pavilion features the largest garden in World Showcase, fact or fiction? I'm going to go fiction again. You are not correct, but tell me what you were thinking might be. Um, United Kingdom or England. Yeah, that I, you know what, that was actually would be a very good guess. Um, and I think it's got to be probably very close. It's actually fact. There's more than 140 rose bushes each year. It's also the most labor-intensive landscape in Epcot. Uh, if you've ever gone to World Showcase during different times of the year, one of the things I love that they do is they actually change the plantings of the flowers. So, for example, if you go in the winter months, there'll be white flowers planted to sort of give the impression of a Canadian winter and snow on the ground. And it's, it's all about the details. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to question five. You're doing well. I can't wait to go to, to, to Grand Floridian. <laughs> Typhoon Lagoon is the largest of the Walt Disney World water parks. Fact. Oh, so close. So close. You had a 50-50 wow. chance. <laughs> Blizzard Beach actually is the largest of the two remaining water parks. It's 66 acres in total, and that opened in 1995. Like I said, no worries. Not keeping score, just having some fun. You having fun yet? I'm having a blast. Okay, that's all counts. <laughs> all right, question eight. The Magic Kingdom was once home to two magic shops. Fact or fiction? By two magic shops, you mean at the same time? Two magic shops, right, at the same time. In different lands. Fiction. Dude, I was leading you there. I was I getting know. Back, I know. Even As soon as I said it, I'm like, oh. <laughs> fact, I mean. Fact, exactly. Fact. Sorry, I can, was some, there was something in my throat. I'm I sorry. can edit that fiction part out. Actually, it is fact <laughs> because there was the House of Magic on Main Street, which, quick aside here, that was one of my personal favorite places to go. That's the place that my dad took me on the way out and said, go ahead. Go pick something out, whether it was a little magic trick or some of the little gag things or a mask that they had hanging up on the wall. You said he went as early as 75. Do you ever remember going to, to the House of Magic? Absolutely, and I have the same uh, fond memories that you do. My dad that was one. buying you stuff at the House of Magic? Well, we are from Jersey. <laughs> That's true. And your first name's Tony, so you know That's, we got to be related somewhere. That's right. That's right. Forget about it. How you doing? Uh, okay. um, exactly. I, I remember that magic shop fondly. Yeah, something I, I was very, very sad to see close. But there was a second smaller magic shop. That was Merlin's Magic Shop, and that was located in Fantasyland. That sold a lot of the same types of things. That closed back in 86. It became uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol for a short amount of time, and right now it's Sir Mickey's. So if you go through the breezeway in the castle, it's on the right-hand side. So um, the the Merlin shop opened about a year after the parked in. And then, like I said, closed in 86 before it came uh, the Christmas shop. All right, question seven. Have you ever stayed, well, this isn't the question, but have you ever stayed at Wilderness Lodge? Uh, my favorite resort. Excellent. So you should, I'm, I'm confident. Tony, I feel it on this one. <laughs> Fact or fiction, Trout Pass Pool is the name of the main pool at Disney's Wilderness Lodge. That's fiction. Excellent. And the name is? I don't know. Doesn't matter. You got it right. <laughs> Silver Creek Springs pool is the main pool 
And the Trout Pass is the name of the pool bar where you can get some drinks and some snacks and things like that. So I should know that. That's one of my favorite DSIs that you and Jeff did. Yeah, and it, and like you, Tony, that that is one of my favorite favorite resorts. And uh, the the Silver Creek Springs pool is just beautiful. You want to talk that, about you know taking a day maybe outside the parks and not it's almost akin to like what you have over at the beach club. It's almost like that little mini water park, and it's got that flowing stream that kind of goes on the one side. It's got the water slide and the the little area for kids to play. So plus you're right on Bay Lake, so you just can't beat that. Very true. All right, question eight, I think. It, uh, according to story, the fictional village of Anandapur in Asia, in Disney's Animal Kingdom, was originally established as a royal hunting reserve. This is according to story. So we'll see how close you pay attention to some of the things if you've ever done something like the Maharaja Jungle Trek, for example. Which I haven't done, so this is going to be a guess. Um, I'm going to say fact. Excellent. Excellent. You have been paying attention. <laughs> Absolutely. Like everything in Walt Disney World, I say it all the time. It's all about story. Anandapur is a name that means city of delights or place of all delights in Sanskrit. And the story behind it is that it was established back in 1544 as a royal hunting reserve. And in time, a village began to grow up and around that area. And now the Royal Hunting Reserve has, has been closed down and it's converted into a conservation area. But the village, of course, still remains. And if you go through the Maharaja Jungle Trek, you can very much pick up details of the story and a lot of the decrepit buildings and old sort of uh, decorative elements that you'll find along the way. And I'm going to save this for a DSI that we're going to do because I love the Jungle Trek. Really tells the story. And actually, if you ask any of the cast members they'll tell you, you know, why things look the way they do and why the different sections are set up the way they they are. Um, and, it, again, talk about attention to detail. I think the Maharaja Jungle Trek, above and beyond just looking at the animals, is a beautiful place to walk through. I'll have to keep that in mind for a future trip. Research trip. Not trip. Research Wait, trip. Research trip. <laughs> All right, question nine. When you were down on your most recent visit, did you have a chance to see the new updated Spaceship Earth? Actually, I did. Okay, what'd you think? I I enjoyed it, except uh, coming back down, our our car rebooted. <laughs> well, it's running Windows. What do you expect? It, it is running Windows, <laughs> correct. I was surprised. As a new Mac convertee, um, I can say that after being a Windows guy for, for <laughs> decades. But obviously, part of the update and the refurbishment, in addition to the absolutely spectacular ascent portion, we'll leave the descent for another discussion, is the change of the narrator. And now Dame Judy Dench is the new narrator. So fact or fiction, fact. Tony? That's fact. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the real question is, fact or fiction, Dame Judy Dench is the fourth narrator of Spaceship Earth. I'm counting in my head. There was the first guy, who I don't remember his name, Walter Cronkite, Jeremy Irons, Dame Judy Dench. I'm going to go with four. Yeah, four, fact. You got it. And that first guy, um, his parents actually like to refer to him as Vic Perrin. So. Oh, right, right, Mr. Perrin, I forgot. That's right. He's Mr. Perrin to you. Um, <laughs> sort of that, that mysterious... I call, I call him the first guy. Well, I think a lot of people call him the first guy. A lot of people don't <laughs> remember the first guy because there's not really a lot of audio or video out there um, from that very early Spaceship Earth. So, again, that's something we're going we're gonna to talk about. Uh, the new Spaceship Earth and the history of Spaceship Earth again on the show very soon. So here is 
your tenth and final question. And, and insert millionaire music here. Thank you. The pyramid that makes up the exterior facade and show building of Mexico is from the Forbidden City. I'm just going to say fiction. Excellent. Excellent. I was going to give you a hint in case you got that wrong, because I was going to say there is one of the 11 pavilions whose part of the facade and buildings was modeled after something known as the Forbidden City. And if you remember your DSIs, that was actually China. Uh, The China Pavilion was inspired by two areas, the Temple of Heaven and the Forbidden City over the Imperial Palace and sort of based on opposite ends of, uh, of the city, just like they are on opposite ends of the Pavilion in World Showcase. So, Tony, according to my score, you got 10 out of 10. So, awesome. So you so are I don't have to take you to dinner. You have to take me to dinner. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you fly yourself down there from Jersey and consider your <laughs> and dinner's on me, just not at Victoria and Albert's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I hope you had fun. I hope you like doing this. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, like I said, just kind of talking a little bit about you know Walt Disney World and some of the, the, the history and the trivia and, and kind of a, just a fun way to get these things out there. Had a really great time, Lou. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tony. I'll see you at Magic Beats. You bet. In this week's listener email section, I wanted to once again address some of your travel-related email questions and some of your vacation planning questions. And as I said on an earlier show, I wanted to bring back somebody who's really, this is her field of expertise, and she is Becky Mankin. She's the owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Becky, I want to welcome you back to the show. Thanks, Lou. It's great to be back. Thanks again for coming on. And like I said, I get a lot of vacation planning emails and I thought who better to have on than somebody who really this is what you do for a living is kind of, you know, vacation planning for people's Disney trips and and helping make some of that magic. So if you are ready, we'll go ahead and get right into the first one. I'm ready. Go for it. All right. The first comes from Emma L. And she says, hey, Lou, I'm a weekly listener to the show and I had a couple of questions about dining this summer. We need to pick a restaurant my favorite topic, for a birthday meal during the first few days of August and we're spending the day in the Magic Kingdom. I'm not sure what table service restaurant would be the best birthday place. It'll be my 15th birthday and I'm not sure where we should go. Any suggestions in either the Magic Kingdom or a surrounding hotel? Also, we're staying at the Contemporary Resort. The Wave restaurant is scheduled to open this summer and I'd love to eat there and at Chef Mickey's but haven't made reservations at either one as yet. Can you make reservations for the wave even though it hasn't opened yet? Sorry, I thought I only had two questions, but it turns out I had more. We're staying in the garden wing, and will our view be just of a parking lot? As the rooms in the wing are the rooms in the wing redone like the rooms in the tower like this past summer, which was very modern, didn't have the look from the 1970s. Any info on the garden wing, I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions. Thanks so much for all that you do. Show is one of my favorite parts of the week, and that again is from Emma L. So we quickly answered the wave that I know just opened and just started taking reservations this week, or is just starting to take reservations. But how about the the birthday place for a fifteen year old? 
Right. There's a lot of great questions in here. And, and just to run back on the wave really quickly, it did just open up for their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and the menu is apparently looking really good. They're putting the final tweaks on that. And the um, first reservations that they'll be taking is beginning June 30th, from what I understand. So that's a very good option for August. Um, going into the birthdays, obviously, when you're talking in the Magic Kingdom area, um, 15-year-old, one of the favorites and one of the most popular from uh, from uh, clients and so forth is the castle at Cinderella's Royal Table. Always one of the big popular ones. Awesome. I actually thought, I started trying to think outside the Magic Kingdom. Maybe they wanted to do something uh, special in one of the hotels. And I thought a fun place to go would be Ohana. Uh, I think the food is great there. If you time it just right, maybe if you're lucky, tell them it's your birthday, get a seat by the window. You can watch Wishes right from there. Um, it's If you have other young kids in, the, in your party as well, there's a lot of fun interactive stuff they do as well with music and some performers. And, and I think Ohana is a, is a very fun place to go and eat as well. Oh, I would agree with that. And I would also add that if you're looking for maybe a little bit more casual and spirited location, Whispering Canyon there at the, um, uh, at the Wilderness Lodge Resort is a great choice as well. Oh, yeah. Good idea good idea you know what tell mom and dad victoria and alberts is where you want to (laughs) go all right becky the other part of emma's question was about the garden wing and maybe just explain for people really quick what she's talking about when she's talking about the garden wing of the contemporary the garden wing is actually a three-story structure that's behind the main tower that you see from the contemporary resort and it's um it's back in the back towards the pool area which um faces up against bay lake and it's a really nice quiet area um back behind the resort which actually is a wonderful location to stay in. The garden wing has two separate categories. It has a standard and what they call a garden view. And the standard view can be, of course, it'll offer the resort grounds or it may be looking at another building, etc., where the garden view will offer the pool or bay lake or the marina or um, obviously some wonderful green foliage (laughs) because of course it's called the garden view so depending on what category of a garden wing you've booked that will determine the view and as far as we've been told all of the rooms have been refurbished to the new style all right next question comes from vicky chiapetti and she said first off lou love the podcast Thanks for taking the time to put together each week. I enjoy the DSIs. I, too, am raised in the Disney geek arena. I'm also passing this down to my kids. Good for you. They know the park as well as I did at their age, rain-free, and get it, which makes me just plain happy. Vicky, me as well. My sister and my families will be doing a Walt Disney World vacation towards the end of July 2009. She is a DVC member. We are not. More than likely, we will be staying at the Fort Wilderness Lodge during our visit. Our kids range from 18, 16, 13, 11, 8, and 6, holy cow, for the trip, (laughs) plus four adults in their 40s who get Disney to the max. My sister will probably book the vacation for both groups, so using a travel agent won't be my call. A couple of shows ago, you talked about having the capabilities of taking out the friendship boat for illuminations at Epcot. The Disney World site is impossible to find prices like this or even features, I'm thinking of being a nice big sister and swinging for the families, all 10 of us, to do this. Do you remember the cost? And then how do you go about booking it? Second, the breakfast safari for the grand gatherings at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Only a dinner package is listed on the Disney World site. 
How much for the exclusive breakfast safari? And again, how do I go about booking? Also, we do usually do our last night at the California Grill, but I'm thinking maybe just to plus the vacation with something as dynamic as you've discussed on the show. I just need some basic budgeting facts and, of course, booking. Thanks for your advice, answers, and just plain being around to serve as a knowledgeable sounding board. Vicky. All right. Like you said, lots of good questions in here as well. We'll kind of hit them one at a time. Sounds good. The first thing I would suggest is your DVC member in the party should probably set up the grand gathering number. Um, that way that they can tie all the reservations together. So if she sets up the grand gathering, give you the numbers, then you can link all of your reservations together for any grand gathering experiences that you may want to, um, to have. On the specialty cruises... Um, obviously, there's a lot of wonderful opportunities to experience something very unique in, in uh, the Magic Kingdom and for Illuminations as well, for either Wishes or Illuminations. I know that um, the pontoon-type boats run approximately 275-plus tax for one of those. Uh, they can be booked up to 90 days in advance, and you do that by either talking to your vacation planner if you have one or by calling the recreation line at the 407-WDW-PLAY number. Awesome. And I've taken both Wishes and Illuminations crews. You want to talk about plussing a vacation. That is one wonderful way to do it. Um, you get a, a very unique perspective, especially over at uh, in Epcot for Illuminations. And I've done the pontoon boat with a large party also for Wishes. Again, unique perspective, very different kind of way of seeing it and really one of those very, very memorable experiences and worth every penny of it. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I love the specialty cruises for any special celebration or, or just family gatherings. It's a, it's a great option. Yeah, and, there's, and, you, and for the pontoon ones, there's snacks and there's beverages and stuff like that. So you'll be out on the water for a little while and a uh, really, really nice addition to the trip. And hey, look, as long as you're springing for it, I'm sure your sister <laughs> will enjoy it. So what about the breakfast safari? Well, and if you're looking at the Grand Gatherings, they actually offer a dinner safari. It's not a breakfast option. Um, she may be thinking of the, uh, the early morning concierge uh, safari that they do offer in the mornings. But for the Grand Gathering, it's only available for a dinner package. All right. Now, over at the California Grill, she wants to sign up. She said she wants to plus her vacation with something dynamic. What kind of tips might you have? All right, you know the funny thing is, I was as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself that the California Grill at Wishes Time is one of the most dynamic experiences that you can have there in the area. Um, but of course, there are all kinds of other pieces you can add. Like of course, the specialty cruise doing an early dinner and and going to the specialty cruise would be a very nice uh, way to end the night on a, a nice kiss good night. Exactly, and that's what I was thinking too. Maybe surprise everybody, even if you want mm -hmm. to. And I'm sure. And Becky, correct me if I'm wrong. If you call the 407 WDW Play and tell them that you want to add desserts to the cruise, they can do that as well. So tell them, you know what, we're going to bypass dessert at California Grill. Come on downstairs and take out one of the cruises. Or you really want to blow them away and really be sister of the year. <laughs> shuttle them on, on over to the Grand Floridian and take out the Grand One. 
Oh, nice <laughs> idea. Absolutely. And they will. They will work with you on catering, whatever you want to have on board um, in any of the cruises or each of the cruises. They've got uh, different options that you can pick. They even have some decorations options that they have for the pontoon boats as well. So uh, just give that number a call and they'll be able to help you with whatever you want to do to make it really special. Yeah. If you can dream it, they can do it. And if, yep. you, can't, if you can't think it up on your own and tell them you want to do something special, They'll definitely help you along with, with some creative ideas. So Exactly. Next email is from Eric from my second favorite place in the world to visit. That's Las Vegas. And he says, Lou, my diehard wife and I enjoyed listening to your show every week. I listened to it probably two or three times repeatedly at work. No jokes about the length, please. And in the car. It's funny. I think my coworkers are getting a little tired of hearing me talk about Walt Disney World. Welcome to my world. But I am so excited <laughs> that I'm going for, to Walt Disney World for 11 days. Good for you. In late September. I do have a question for you. We've purchased the Disney dining plan with our vacation package, so we figure that we have just about free reign in terms of where we're going to eat. Could you please suggest four restaurants, only four, that you feel are just (laughs) restaurants you must go to? There are some parameters, though. One choice must be a musical dinner show or character dining, and at least one must be outside the parks in any of the resorts. We're staying at the Coronado Springs, but have no problem using Disney transportation to go to a different resort. Thanks for sharing your valuable Walt Disney World knowledge. Becky, again, restaurants and Walt Disney World, my favorite topic, but I will let you, I will let you give, uh, give some suggestions first. Well, my first problem with this question is he's making me limit it to four. <laughs> um, it, it's very difficult to do because obviously it depends on your specific food tastes and so forth. But um, me being the meat and potatoes kind of gal that I tend to be, uh, the first thing when he's talking about the, the musical uh, dinner type show, I, I immediately think of the hoop de doo review. That's one of the most popular, of course, on property. And um, I... I thoroughly enjoyed it and I, I think that that's one of, of my very favorites um oh go ahead no I was gonna say you know we might as well just touch on the other character uh, I'm sorry the other uh dining options like that there's also something else if you've done maybe hoop to do before or maybe hoop to do with you know the kind of the vaudeville thing and the fried chicken isn't your bag something different that a lot of people don't look at and that you guys might enjoy is the backyard barbecue over at Fort Wilderness. There, there's characters there, there's live music, and it's an all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet. And there's also the Spirit of Aloha dinner show over at the Mm -hmm. Polynesian, which is a lot of fun. Um, Again, Polynesian music, there's hula dancers, there's the world-famous guy with the flaming sticks, and, of course, (laughs) a, uh, a very interactive show if you want it to be. Absolutely, and and both of those are great as well. Um, uh, I'm having difficulty with this just for thing. Um, another one, of course, I keep going to California Grill. It does take two of your uh, dining plan um, vouchers, though, but it's one of the very best restaurants on property. And, of course, if you get it around fireworks time, there's no better way to end the night. Uh, that's one of my very favorites. Looking in one of the parks, i got to say La Cellier. I really like that one in Epcot in Canada. Um, I lo- love the menu, of course, going back to my good old meat and potatoes type of gal. But I am also partial to their creme brulee and their chocolate mousse. So you can kind of think of where my brain is heading. <laughs> um, that's three. There's a couple <laughs> others here. If you can tell I'm having a hard time with this. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to add two. 
One of them, uh, one of my very favorites over in uh, Hollywood Studios is the Brown Derby. I know a lot of people do have some mixed thoughts about that. Take a look at the menu first, but personally, I really enjoy the Cobb Salad. It's, um, of course, a signature dish of the Brown Derby, and it's huge. So if you don't have that much of an appetite, or if you're going in for a lunch instead of a dinner, it's, some, it's a good idea to share that one because it is rather big. Last but not least on my list, and I know I'm cheating and I'm going to <laughs> five, but I do really like to have that little bit of magic injected in me. And the only way to do that is really going to one of the character meals. And I'm very, very fond of Chef Mickey's. Yeah, I could not disagree with any of those, but because I like talking about food, I'm going to throw out <laughs> four of my own. Like you, Becky, I, I want to, you know, there's 10 I could rattle off, but what I'll try He's, and do, because I don't know your preferences and what people like, I'll try and break it down maybe by type of food. So if you're looking for steak, I honestly think that Yachtsman Steakhouse may be the very best place to get steak on property. I, I love the atmosphere atmosphere there. That's over at the Yacht Club. Um, Shula's is another alternative. That's over at the Dolphin. If you're looking for seafood, I'm a very, very big fan of the Flying Fish Cafe. That's over at the Boardwalk. Oh, gosh. Let's see. If you're looking for Italian food, I really, really like Il Molino. That also, too, is over at the Swan. Uh, You can kind of spend the day in Epcot, walk over to the Swan at night. Uh, my last time there, I had dinner with somebody. We spent almost four hours in the restaurant, just having an, an amazing, amazing experience. And maybe one other one to throw out just for fun would be Jico, and that's over at Animal Kingdom Lodge. That, that for many people, Becky, I'm sure you can agree, oh. is sort of their top choice when it comes to, to high-end restaurants without jumping to that next level of Victorian Alberts. Right, absolutely, and I, I agree. Jico is phenomenal, and some of the um, restaurants that you had mentioned actually don't participate in some of the dining plan, which he's he's stating he's going to be on. So, um, make sure that you have that list of your uh, of the restaurants that participate in the dining plan, so you can make the right choices as well for your stay. You did mention Eric that you were traveling in um, late September. If you happen to have gotten the free dining, which is happening towards the end of September, the important thing to know is that you need to book your dining early uh, because during the free dining plan, during the free dining time, it tends to book up really easily and really quickly. So you want to make sure that you've got reservations at the restaurants that you're looking for. Yeah, and sorry about that. I just kind of let my stomach take over and just started coming <laughs> through all the restaurants. I forgot about the question it's in its easy. entirety. Yeah, I saw restaurants and, and everything else was just pretty much a blur after that. So, so I apologize for that, Eric. But all right. Food. Let, it's yeah, food. I know. I could devote a whole show, and maybe I will, to, to dining in Walt Disney World. But let's move on because we have a lot of emails to get to. And the next one comes from AJ. AJ says, hey, Lou, I'm a longtime fan of the show, and I have a couple of quick questions for you. I've convinced most of my entire family to go on a trip to Walt Disney World. My family is huge, considering my grandma had six children and had six stepchildren. However, only six of them are going. As is, the total will be 23. I wonder if you had any ideas as to where are good places to eat for such a big party. Granted, we can always split up. Any ideas as to where to stay? It'll be their second time going, my third. And it would be great if you could list a few hotels for some families, they may not be able to pay as much as, say, the contemporary. So if you know of any good neighboring hotels, that would be great. If you could think of anything else that might help, it would definitely be appreciated. 
Thanks for all the help. Keep up the good work. You can always give me that Disney touch when I need it each week. Can't wait for the calendar, AJ. All right, Becky, so you've got 23 people, multi-generational family coming down. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a group. And it's great. And, of course, Disney World is a wonderful place for multi-generational because there's so much that's available to people of every age. And with such a large family, let's talk about food first. Um <laughs> Buffets are a great option for families because, of course, um, there's lots of choices. There's something there for everybody. So that's always something to look for. Um, my favorites, of course, include Boma and Yath, the Chef Mickey's that we were just talking about for the Disney X-esque experience. Um, a couple of others, Whispering Canyon and Ohana both serve meals family style. And that's lots of fun with a large group. And they those restaurants do tend to be able to accommodate large families as well. So when you do make your dining reservations, make sure to tell them you're a very large group and they do have a, a, a special department that can help you with group dining so that you're um, as close together as at all possible. I won't even bother mentioning restaurants because I'll just go off on a tangent and forget about the fact that there's 23 people eating. So <laughs> so you want to talk about resorts real quick? Let's go to resorts. Where to stay, I think it, it may be presenting a big challenge for them. Certainly. And obviously on property, I, I know that budget uh, does tend to, to fall into this, but the villa resorts would offer the best amenities for everyone's needs with... Um, with the addition of, of course, laundry facilities, which really help when you're getting into that one bedroom and above. But with a kitchen at your disposal, um, you have the option of eating in, like light breakfast or lunch, and the extra cost of the food that you're not spending for um, out in the restaurants when you're making things light in the kitchen can help make up for the budget hit. Um, the villas resorts are like the um, the boardwalk villas, beach club villas, and, and so forth, where they offer one, two, and even three bedroom accommodations. Uh, something a little bit lower on the budget scale, but great opportunities for large groups is the Fort Wilderness cabins on property. Each of those sleeps six, and they're very affordable with the uh, um, with the kitchen and other amenities as well. That would be really good for groups. Yeah, that's the first thing. On property-wise, after the villas that came to mind. And I think that could be a lot of fun, too. I think the cabins and Fort Wilderness offers you a very, very unique experience on property. And look, you know, you want to make Grandma sleep outside in a tent, you could do that as well while you guys stay in the cabin. <laughs> so, you know, you can spread everybody out. You don't want to be on top of each other. But you get a lot of room, like you said, Becky. You get a lot of great amenities, and the price is definitely workable uh, to do that. And, you know, something else to consider, too, is maybe even going off property. Um, Becky, I don't know how you feel about this, but maybe because of the size of the group, looking at one of these very, very large vacation homes, like a Mm seven-bedroom vacation home, might be a way to do it. You have to probably rent like 15 cars in order to get back and forth. (laughs) But again, that offers a variety of options. It offers a lot of room for people to stay. You've got your own pool. We've had Steve on from All Star in the past. Um, I don't know if you've heard that. So that that's another option as well um, to consider. Oh, I totally agree. Is just taking consideration the amount of time um, and inconvenience it'll be to get moving people back and forth. Like you said, when you're renting seven cars <laughs> to get people around, that might actually um, be the, the same money in the budget that you can spend towards something that's on property. You might have to basically rent a bus. Basically, <laughs> getting a bus is probably the best way, AJ, to get your family back and forth. So, All right. The next question, hopefully we'll not deal with food. And it comes from Adam over in the UK. And he says, hey, Lou, I'm a new listener to your podcast. And I'm really excited because I finally found something great to suit all of my Walt Disney World needs. 
I live back in the UK and can't wait for my next trip to Walt Disney World in the summer. I've been telling all of my friends about your brilliant show, thank you, and now they all tune in. I'm always thinking of the brilliant weather over there. Clearly, you're not talking about New Jersey. Anyway, I do have one question to ask. What is the best tour that I can take my children on, ages 15 and 8? I was looking at Epcot Behind the Seeds tour, and that looks good. Would you recommend that or any other recommendations? I just listened to your last podcast about River Country. You did a great job. Thank you. I also think that they should do it up again and open it as a small but exclusive park, a la Discovery Cove. It's a shame that they're letting such a brilliant water park go to waste. I'd be so grateful if you can answer my question on the next podcast. Ask and ye shall receive. Keep up the magical work, Adam in the UK. So, all right, Becky, Adam is looking for tours. And before I start going off on all the different great tours that he can take, we have to take into consideration the ages of his kids. Yeah, that is one of the unfortunate parts about the tours is that um, many of them have very strict age requirements. Anything that allows you to go backstage requires you be 16 years or older. So they do have a lot of great options for families. For example, the Behind the Seeds Tour is one of them. And of course, there's also the Family Magic Tour over in the Magic Kingdom, which is quite popular with the families as well. Yeah, unfortunately, like you said, you're, you're limited by the tours. I took the Behind the Seeds tour uh, years and years ago, and I enjoyed it. And it's nice, too, because unlike something like Backstage Magic or even Keys to the Kingdom, it's not a very long tour. Um, you can I don't remember how long it is, maybe about a half hour or so, and it's very inexpensive. So, yeah, Behind the Seeds will cost you somewhere around $12 to $15. Family Magic Tour is probably getting upwards of around $30 or so. Uh, if you really want to be adventurous, uh, I do know that Disney's Wide World of Sports also offers a free guided tour that lasts an hour on days that there are sporting events. So if for some reason you want to go down, check out Wide World of Sports. That is another option as well. Next email comes from Michael in Springfield, Virginia. He says he's been listening to the show since late 2006, back when it was the old show. Really enjoys it. Um, I won't read everything he says, but Michael, you were very complimentary and I really appreciate it. And he did say that he's certain that the information that he learned from the shows helped us get the most out of our time at Walt Disney World, maximizing our enjoyment and minimizing the confusion and frustration that sometimes confront the uninformed occasional and first time visitors. Thank you. That is exactly the point of why I do what I do. But anyway, his question says, I'm going down to Walt Disney World in mid-November to attend a professional conference held at the Swan and Dolphin Hotels. But I figure as long as I'm down there, I should spend a day or two before and or after the conference to enjoy some time in the parks. For the nights of the conference itself, that is Thursday through Saturday night, I need to stay at the Swan or Dolphin to be close to the conference sessions. But if I come a day early and leave a day or two after the conference, as I hope to do, I probably want to stay at a different Disney resort, maybe like Port Orleans French Quarter, one of my favorites, both to save some money and also get more of the Disney flavor. So what I want to know is this. Since I presumably have to book the Swan through the conference registration process to get the conference room rate, do I have to make a separate reservation or reservations for the nights at Port Orleans before and after the conference? If so, is there still a way to arrange for Disney to move my suitcase between rooms for example, French Quarter to the Swan, back to French Quarter, if all my nights are consecutive, but maybe technically on two or three different reservations. Stay with me, Becky. Also, (laughs) what is the process for doing a multi-resort stay over consecutive nights? These are actually great questions. Do I have to check in and check out at each resort's registration desk for each leg of the stay because I might need or receive a separate key to the kingdom for each reservation? What about Magical Express? Are there any complications if I arrive to one, then depart from another? 
can even get Magical Express service to and from if you make a reservation as part of a conference stay. Sorry for the barrage of questions. Conference registration opens next week. I want to have a plan and order before I book my stay. Thanks in advance for any help you can give Michael. Michael, these are actually great questions, and it's something I think, Becky, that probably comes up a lot with people bouncing around, having to make separate reservations. Oh, absolutely. And when you miss, uh, mix Swan and Dolphin into the mix, you also get a little bit more complicated because they're not actually Disney-owned resorts, even though they're their own property. So I did check with Disney on this, and they advised that they can provide luggage transfers only between the Disney-owned resorts. So it, you're looking at having to transfer your own luggage from a Disney resort to the Swan and Dolphin and then back to the other Disney resort. So that might be a little bit complicated. Um, each leg would be considered a, a separate reservation. So if you check in at one of the Disney resorts for the beginning of your stay, you'll have to check in and check out on one reservation, then go over to the Swan and check in there, check out, and then check in again at the other Disney resort that you end up on the last leg of your stay. First, I would suggest check the, the convention rate that you're talking about at the Swan, because frankly, if it's a, a good convention rate, the stay there and staying there the entire time might actually help you in, in terms of having enough time to really enjoy the Disney flavor that you're trying to, uh, to, to go and experience. Otherwise, you might spend a lot more time in a cab <laughs> transferring your luggage <laughs> between a hotel to another hotel to another hotel. Um, one of the complications there is that Magical Express does not go to the Swan Resort, so you would need to uh, work out a shuttle or a town car to actually get you back and forth. If you do end up doing the pre and post stay at the Disney Resorts, you would then link your pre-stay to your arrival from Magical Express and your post-stay night to your departure. So that would work as well. Um, but obviously, one of the things that you really enjoy about being in Disney World is having the time to experience all it has to offer. So you might want to consider... Uh, ugh, consider, sorry, not bouncing around between resorts and just really enjoying the time you have. Wow. Well, that, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. And I agree with you because, you know, depending on, on how much the budget might play into it, I think, Becky, that that's <laughs> the right idea. Uh, and the Swan is a great location, too. And, and you certainly do get some of the Disney flavor there, especially when you, depending on which way you're facing, can look out your window and see the boardwalk or hear the fireworks in the distance or know you can walk right to MGM as well. Uh, I think the Swan and Dolphin are, are wonderful resorts in that regard. So um, right. that, that very well might be your best bet. And then if you really do want to experience two different resorts, rather than coming in early and leaving late, maybe you might want to come in and do the, the Swan Resort for your convention and then stay afterwards, do a post-stay rather than a pre and post so you don't feel like you're moving two or three times. You're just moving once. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Becky, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for emails this week. I appreciate you coming on and helping answer some of these questions, especially some of the more complicated ones, and, uh, <laughs> and just leaving me to do the, uh, the dining stuff, because that's really <laughs> what, my, what my favorite part of it is. Uh, to learn more, if you have any questions, if you are looking to plan your next Disney vacation, whether it be to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, or Adventures by Disney, I highly recommend you going out and checking Becky's website over at mousefantravel.com. Becky, thanks for coming on. I definitely want you to come back and uh, help us tackle some more emails. I know we have some other great segments planned for the future. Anytime, Lou. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you, as always, for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks also to Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com, Tony from Jersey, and Becky from Mouse Fan Travel for joining me this week. I also want to give a special thanks to Becky and everybody over at Mouse Fan Travel once again. As, like I said, they've decided to make a donation to my Dream Team project for any bookings made until June 30th. There's a link on the site over to Mouse Fan Travel, or you can just go and visit MouseFanTravel.com for more information. If you have any questions, comments, reviews, or suggestions, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be on the air, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Please visit wdwradio.com. Visit our show notes page, which has photos, links to other topics that I've covered on this week's show. You'll also find some of my recommended products and services as well as special promotions and exclusive deals that you can only access from the site. For example, All-Star Vacation Homes has a deal exclusive just for listeners where you can receive a free rental car and a $50 gas card with your seven-night stay in the three-, four-, or five-star vacation homes. You can find the link to All-Star Vacation Homes there. There's lots of exciting things coming up in the next few weeks, so please stay tuned. And as I always say, if you are a new listener, please go back, check out some of the shows in our archive most of the shows are not really time-sensitive, so there might be some things in there that I think you'll enjoy. If you want to comment on the show, please visit the WDW Radio forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And if you like the show, please review us on iTunes, and more importantly, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in again. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Jared from Clearwater. Great show. Been listening since episode one, and to the old show before that. So I've been with you for a while. I do uh, have enjoyed your shows uh, dealing with Star Wars weekends. I'm a huge Star Wars fan myself, and I've been going to Star Wars weekends uh, every year since 2003. Um, one thing I think that is missing now from Star Wars weekends um, are uh, trivia contests for the adults. Uh, of course, now you have the Padawan Mind Challenge and that kind of thing. But uh, it used to be just a few years back, um, they had obviously the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Star Wars edition and the um, Tatooine Trivia Trials. Um, in 2003, I um, signed up to play the Tatooine Trivia Trials in the morning and came back at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon and uh, competed against several, uh, about 200 uh, other people, and uh, eventually won that contest that year. Got a nice little prize package, so it, that was really exciting. And um, also, so the next year, uh, in 2004, I tried my hand at the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire attraction. Unfortunately, did not make it to the hot seat. Uh, however, I was first on the leaderboard, so if the hot seat person had fallen out um, before time ran out, I would have been the next one down there. But in 2005, I went back, tried my hand, got to the hot seat this time, got two questions from the top, and, uh, and missed. It was a question about the cantina band and the names of the instruments they were playing um i was completely uh I, I was completely uh stumped and i guess wrong however of course i have since studied up on my uh cantina band 
um, instruments, so uh, that will never happen again. But uh, in 2006, I went back knowing that this would be my last year to uh, to win, uh, knowing that Millionaire was going to be closed for the upcoming Toy Story attraction. So I went in there and made it to the hot seat, and after a grueling series of questions, I won the cruise. It was very surreal. Work Davis was seated next to me the entire time. It was just uh, something I'll never forget. And uh, took the cruise in May of 2007. Um, it was completely awesome. As you know, Disney cruises uh, are great. They're even better when you don't have to pay a cent for them. But, um, yeah, that's my Star Wars tale. And I... I, I miss the fact that there is no adult trivia contest because every year I kind of saw that as my own personal Super Bowl. It was something that I was really good at, and I look forward to it every year. And uh, now um, it's gone. And I already have uh, a lot of Star Wars autographs, and it's almost, like, as you know, impossible to, to get autographs at... Star Wars weekends anymore unless you arrive at the park at like 6 a.m. and I'm uh, I'm just not that dedicated and it's hard to drag a wife and a two-year-old to uh, the theme park at you know 5:30 in the morning. So, but anyway, uh, that's my little story and uh, you have a great show and um, I'll be at Star Wars weekends um, on June 7th. So maybe I'll see you. Take care. Tapu tapu lo. <laughs>